and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who loves a Goodman's dozen. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It's the number of times he's hosted SNL and yep. the number of goals the United States scored against Thailand. <laughs> 13. Goodness gracious. So we are here with our World Cup daily wrap-up. We're going to lead uh, mm-hmm. with the U.S. women's national team's 13-0 win yes. over Thailand. We certainly are. Um, this is kind of hard to cover, right? It's, uh, yeah. It's a hard game for us to break down. It's a hard, it was hard enough for Fox to list the goal scorers at the end. <laughs> yeah. They had to have a scroll. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, with that in mind, not going to be covering every single goal. Oh, I thought we were going to break down all 13 goals in excruciating detail. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, the show will end next week. <laughs> yeah, just in time for the U.S.'s next game. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we won't do that. No. Um, let's instead talk about it this way. Sure. Why was this so easy? Because the theme of this World Cup... Um, has been mm-hmm. teams struggling to break down defensive teams. Argentina, Japan is the obvious example. Netherlands, New Zealand we'll talk about later. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of teams have put up a good defensive fight. Yes. How did the U.S. just roll out a 13-0 win instead? Um, there, there are a variety of answers to that. I would say the basic ones would be uh, they were very aggressive. They went at Thailand right away. There was yeah. not a lot of hesitation on the ball. It seemed to be the game plan was go at them as early and as often as possible. Mm-hmm. That seemed to have kind of put Thailand on the back foot very quickly. No uh, slow build-up, right? No. It was like, let's go from and the I, opening second. And I think that was part of the problem for Thailand as well, that I think with a little bit of slow build-up, it allows you to adjust more. You can slide over. You can fill some space. But if the United States is playing as quickly as they were and as direct as they were at times, then you're sort of scrambling to put like to put this player under pressure and once you've got to that player two more have popped up and then so, you've got to kind of move all around let's get specific about sure. this then when you say that the US played quickly yes. uh, what are you picturing because when you said it mm-hmm. I picture the centre-backs say Dahlkamper and Ertz mm-hmm. not putting their foot on the ball but instead just like really quickly sweeping a ball out wide to a to an attacking fullback. Yeah, there, there was like a one or two minute period uh, after the United States scored their first goal before they scored their second when like uh, I think the Thai player takes a very I think it's uh, Tongsam Butt takes some like heavy touch yeah. and basically Kelly O'Hara reacts to that immediately goes in and has like a crunching tackle and then the United States is away they don't end up scoring instead Thailand cleared and Julie Ertz runs through and like her first time ball is a like 30 yard ball wide to the touchline to Mega yeah. Rapino who's standing there. I think that Kelly O'Hara moment is really important yeah. as well because it's, it's another thing the US did is, I mean, you don't think of it in a liverpool way, but essentially counter-pressing is yes. what they were doing. Anytime Thailand mm-hmm. had half a clearance or tried to come out, the US would be pushed up really high. And remember, Kelly O'Hara is our right back. Mm-hmm. She's tackling uh, Thai players sort of just outside their own area. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so we're pushed up right on them. Anytime they try and come out, we just really aggressively, mm-hmm. um, really aggressively win it back hard. And, and then is... we go again and we move the ball quickly and Thailand are back in trouble. And I would say we don't necessarily need to go there now, but I would say like I think later on we're going to get to like, so what can we take away from this game? And yeah. I would say remember that moment from Kelly O'Hara because yeah. I think that's pretty important. Yeah, okay, uh, but yeah. going back to like why this went the way it did, I think like that intensity from Kelly O'Hara is a good example. But then more so that one touch pass from Julie Ertz because I think uh, other teams in this tournament who've come up against very defensive teams, it's been the center back puts her foot on the ball, kind of dribbles forward, looks for a pass. The holding midfielder gets it. She looks for a pass, and it's just kind of a slow build up. It allows Thailand to keep their shape to get into a kind of a defensive bunker, and then you've got to find your way through. It's kind of what happened to. Japan against Argentina, I think, and they weren't quickly moving the ball. They weren't trying to take people on. The United States did that at every opportunity. How much of this is Thailand's fault? 
I think a decent amount because I, I do think that you started to see them continue to try to go to the United States a little bit. They did commit some numbers for it, especially at the beginning of the second half. I think they were not necessarily thinking they were going to pull it back, but maybe they thought we can kind of nab a goal early and then that kind of lets the, the goal difference so yeah, be yeah, a bit better. It's 3-0 at halftime. Yeah. They but, 10 goals in the second half. Yep. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think it's that they got a little more stretched. They didn't quite keep to their game plan. And the other thing, the other reason I'm inclined to say it was a little bit more on them, uh, because obviously the, there's a gulf in quality, but yeah. in technical quality. But when that happens... You mean literally in terms of like who can control a ball yes. and how quickly and yeah, I Absolutely. think that's true. But it's also the case that then if you're dealing with a opponent who is technically superior you can do a couple different things one of them is is get ugly and it's knock the players around like leave leave a foot in maybe longer than you need to knock them off the ball step to them put yep. a player under pressure with two players yep. and instead it seemed like time were too soft yeah i think they were yeah. too soft they backed off i mean i'm very happy about it because the united states gets out of this without right any we don't injuries, want a bunch of injuries right yeah but i kind of kept expecting a clear out tackle at some point yeah, out yeah. of frustration almost like when came. you play fifa and you get mad and there's that deliberate yep. foul button yeah. you expect a tie player to have pressed that but mm-hmm. even if not that like at least sort of just compete hard for every ball and it seemed to me maybe it's just not possible mm-hmm. because the US is so competitive and so dominant in the air but like every possible header I saw a US player win every 50-50 ball I saw a US player win every 30-70 17 favour of Thailand yep. I saw the US win there's yep. one moment in the first half that we both saw where um, Crystal Dunn steps to a Thai player who yep. really should be able to mm-hmm. like at least just turn around and shield or something and Dunn's just able to step into her and like just take the ball off of her mm-hmm. like way way too easy Not, I think it's basically like Dunn just steps to her to apply basic defensive pressure and the yeah. tie player tries to cut and just turns the ball over and then so maybe panics Dunn. maybe just yeah. basic defensive pressure causes a bit of a panic but then when she panics this is the other thing is that Crystal Dunn gets that ball and basically has time to pick her head up and and just I think she ends up dropping it to Dahl Kemper but, and so it's not like she's playing this incisive ball through but it's still that she has time to get the ball retain possession pick her head up pass it to a teammate and the tie players aren't stepping to her they're not putting under pressure immediately yeah. and trying to win that ball back so they're letting the United States get comfortable and find their rhythm here's the final tie thing I'd like to note is that they essentially didn't have great defensive shape no. like when you see that Argentina team they did have that tight back four mm-hmm. and then the five in front and it was something of a wall for Japan to try and get through Japan were essentially just a little loose like they mm-hmm. easily got stretched out and big gaps appeared between the defensive line and the midfield line and the way the midfielders were strung across midfield there were gaps in between and it just seemed very easy for US players to find space and receive a pass yeah. and once you make that too easy um, and then Thai players weren't stepping really hard to US players to tackle they were more trying to direct pressure like maybe shepherd them one way or another mm-hmm. but all they got to do is like they one there's a pass open so they can do it US can just keep the ball moving or players like Megan Rapino or Tobin Heath or Rose Lavelle or basically any US player yeah all the way back to the centre backs yeah just a quick cut and you yep. can go around a Thai player yeah so it was essentially all too easy because there wasn't enough defensive pressure from Thailand I don't want to yeah. belabor that point because I think people really want to hear more about the US women's national team yeah that, that's fair but um but like final point on that because I agree with you I would say though that like Thailand probably in practice tried to deal with this they tried to yeah. set up in a way that like when they were scri- like doing their inner squ- squad scrimmages how do you defend against the United States that's going to be mobile and fast and I think even if you're kind of set up to defend your team doing an approximation of that you're still not going to have the technical ability to like yeah. there's the one where, I can't remember if it was Haran or Sam Mewis but like is play the ball 
fairly driven into her, it like skips off the ground and she like settles it and turns in one motion under kind of pressure from three different tie players and ends up playing a, a fairly simple pass yeah. and just I don't know if there's a tie player who could have done that and so if you're practicing against a team and they're not able to control it then you might think oh, okay there's no way Sam Ewis is going to be able to turn and make a play yeah. and then she turns and makes that play and so you <laughs> kind of can't game plan for that. Alright before we get to what can we take away from this game about the sure. United States I want to ask the sort of um, the controversial question that I've mm. seen floating around should the U.S. have taken the foot off the gas a little bit? Should they have kept going and kept going and made this 13-0? Or should they have got to like 6-0 and be like, all right, stop, stop, they're already dead. Mm-hmm. Let's do something else instead. Um, I would say no. I don't okay. think they should have taken their, their foot off the gas. I'm with you. 100%. Like, I, I guess... I, I saw moments where it seemed like players, Carly Lloyd, who were like trying to score a goal. Like that seemed to be what yeah. they were doing is like, I'm going to beat this player, I'm going to beat this player, I'm going to beat this player, then I'm going to score. And in that moment, it's no longer sort of like the ruthless team play. It's, yeah, it feels yeah. a little bit more individual. It feels a little bit more this team sucks and I can score on them. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. It was like Carly Lloyd just wanted another World Cup yeah. goal. I, I actually didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Mostly because it just didn't speak well to the, the team ethic that yeah. Carly Lloyd was just all about Carly Lloyd scoring. Yeah. but And I'm not, I'm not necessarily just trying to single out Carly Lloyd because there were other players who were doing it to some extent. She stood out the most because there were like two sequences in a row when she had passes on yeah. and could have laid off and could have combined and instead turn yeah, and shot. Yeah, we're shoot. Yeah, yeah. I see. Um, but, but aside from that, I do think that if you're trying to kind of keep that ruthlessness alive and that's something that you really want to embrace and I do think it is going to be a hallmark of this U.S. women's so you team think in this, this tournament. the team identity was we are ruthless. Yes. We don't stop when it's 6-0. Nope. We keep going. We will smash you from the first whistle to the last whistle. I mean, look at the substitutions, man. I mean, they ended up playing, what, like a 3-1-2-4? Like, mm. they, they did not go into a more like, okay, we're going to be attacking. We're going to get some of our like, like players off. We'll give them a rest and we'll kind of keep possession. If anything, they shift into a more attacking approach yeah. to see what they could get away with, I think. Is, is goal difference an argument for this? No. Where it could be... <laughs> I don't think so. But it could be the US and Sweden are vying mm-hmm. for first place in the group. Mm-hmm. And like, If the US can like, put a, like literally 13 goals past Thailand, we assume that Sweden can't do the same based on what we saw yeah. um, against Chile. Um, that maybe when it comes to... If they both get six points and US-Sweden is the final group stage game, this almost guarantees, if the US beats uh, Chile, mm-hmm. that they go into that game against Sweden with the advantage yeah. of knowing, hey, we can draw this and we're still going to be the top team on goal difference. So to me, there's an argument that maybe running up the goal difference, even if it's kind of embarrassing for Thailand, mm-hmm. maybe it's actually worth doing in terms of your progression through the tournament. I mean, that's possible. That's certainly possible. I, I think maybe that factors into it because, yeah, you want to make your like third group stage game as easy as possible if you can. Yeah. I would say where I found myself kind of being like, oh, okay, that's enough, was with some of the celebrations, I guess. Yeah, they were big, right? Because we've been in games when like a team... Not 13 no, but we've lost some games. Yeah. And it's never fun when the we've other been, team... We've been on both sides of this, right? Yeah. yeah. It's never fun when the other team kind of completely stops caring. And it's never yeah. fun when you're ahead and you completely stop, stop caring because uh-huh. then you start making mistakes and you're not quite as focused and that can bleed into the next game. So I understand why the United States kept doing that. And I'm not even saying that they should have just been like, score a goal and jog back quietly. It's the World Cup. You want to be excited. It was just more so when they went and did some of the like clearly choreographed yeah. celebrations. And the entire sort of subs bench dancing at like yes. the 10th or 11th goal. Yeah, yeah. and like, to go back to your FIFA analogy, which is maybe a poor analogy when it comes to like this exact example, but if I'm playing a person who's beating me 11-0 and they're clearly better than me, and after every single time they get up and scream goal and run around the room, I probably quit playing that game at some point. And again, <laughs> I would say... Thailand, it was an option for Thailand, Well, it was an option to red card. So yeah. like, going for a red card challenge okay. and sort of remind everybody that, hey, 
stop celebrating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that they didn't do that, that was good. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, the one thing I felt okay about was like Mal Pugh scored her first World Cup goal. Yeah. So I get that she would be absolutely pumped about that, yes. right? On her World Cup debut. Yeah. No yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, the, I, got, I got no problem with that. I have no problem with celebrating. I have no problem with scoring, especially if your identity is going to be ruthlessness, which I think it will be. So let's get to what can we take away from this sure. game. And I think that's the number one thing. Agreed. Is that the U.S. Um, sent a message to everybody else in the tournament we're some bad people. Don't mess with us. Yes. I mean, <laughs> they definitely made themselves the villains of this tournament. Like, if, if yeah. you are a neutral person watching this game, that is a, like the unstoppable juggernaut who do not care for yeah. normal human feelings. They will score on you no matter what. This goes back to the McCall Zaboni uh, yep. team talk thing to me where mm-hmm. she said, you know, we're winners. What do yeah. winners do? Like, this is what we do. And I, I kind of see it. I think if the U.S. is going to win the World Cup, this is the type of attitude they're going to have to do it, mm. right? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I think... Where I think it's also more maybe important in the long term, like run out of this tournament, is when I talked to Caitlin Murray yesterday, she talked about how the United States, one thing they kind of wanted to work on uh, in this game, knowing that Thailand weren't going to be that big of a threat, was how do you defend counterattacks? How do you uh, 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 defend when you're transitioning to defense? Yeah. And that's where that Kelly O'Hara tackle stands out to me, because maybe against a stronger opponent, they don't quite do that, but I think they still probably do some form of it, which is. If you can stop the counterattack, you stop it as quickly as you so can. You stop it at source. And, and I think that's what we're going to see. Kelly's point that sh- there, there was some slight concern that maybe when it's Sauerbrunn yeah. and Dalcamp are starting, neither of them are particularly quick. So mm-hmm. the U.S. may be susceptible to some sort of fast counterattack. Yes. But the way to not let that happen is to cut it off 50 yards up the field with a Kelly O'Hara slide tackle. Which is true. because or you, we, we always thought it was all about Julie Ertz, yeah. right? But I think one of the things we learned in this game is maybe that there are plenty of other players all across the, mm-hmm. the U.S. sort of front three, front six, and the fullbacks who are willing to yeah. to stop things before they start. Yeah, but that, that I think will be key to the U.S. team. If they're concerned about their defense and then if Becky Sauerbrunn d- doesn't start this game, if she continues to have injury issues, like maybe oh, the yeah. way... Worth noting that Becky Sauerbrunn mm-hmm. was expected to start at centre-back, yep. um, wasn't fit to go, and so Juliet's moved back from defensive midfield mm-hmm. to central midfield, and Sam Mewis came in. Yes, right? yeah, exactly. But I think if you want to like not necessarily have to worry about how strong your defense is, especially in transition, then you kind of try to win the ball back as quickly as you can you put the other team under pressure and even if Kelly O'Hara doesn't win that tackle and maybe just gets to it but it goes off the uh, the, the tie player and it goes out of bounds I think it was Tonks butt again I say uh, then it's at the like at worst maybe it's a throw in for Thailand but mm-hmm. you still kind of stopped the rapidness of the counterattack, and well, that is a thing I think the United States well, is going to keep doing here's my problem with this whole game is hmm. essentially is that a takeaway from the US or does it not count that Kelly O'Hara did that against a Thai team that wasn't very good I think it's telling to you know what I'm saying I think it's Marjorie telling, doesn't let you do that. It's telling to me that she did it so early in the game. It means to me that that's what they set up to do. That it okay. was as soon as there's an opportunity, win that ball back as high up as you can. Yeah. But also don't get like ponderous on the ball. Win that ball back and go, or win that ball back and get rid. So we can't gauge whether that's going to be successful against, say, France or no. not. But we can say this is a thing the U.S. sets yes. out to do. Okay, yes. that's, a, uh, that w- that's a good. That would be my guess. Yeah. Um, here's another takeaway from me, hmm. Alex Morgan. Um, I really liked her movement, like Mm -hmm. not just standing up front waiting for balls to come in. She did a lot of like coming and showing for the ball. I think one of the the good examples is maybe the second goal, the Rose Lavelle goal, Mm -hmm. where she comes deep and just like turns and lays it into Lavelle's path uh, for that shot. Also, one of my critiques when I did the the preview was I was slightly concerned that Alex Morgan was always trying to smash it with her left foot. She had a lot of finishes in this game that were a lot more 
placed and delicate and calm. Yeah, the, the one time she went for the left foot smash. I guess she scored it at the end. She has the one that goes across the face of goal. Yes, but yes. that's one out mm-hmm. of, I mean, she scored yeah. five. So Yes. <laughs> um, to your point, yeah, I had some concerns about Alex Morgan coming in. That's why I asked Caitlin Murray about like if there was a chance we would see Carly Lloyd start in some yeah. games because I thought maybe she offered a bit more like predatory instinct in front of goal. I'm not yeah. sure I feel that way after today. <laughs> um, but also, I'm with you that the movement... I mean, the instinct was there, for sure. It was. But the movement of Alex Morgan and the willingness to combine and not necessarily score goals herself. Yeah. I didn't see as much sort of, I'm going to get mine shooting. Obviously, she still gets five. What I did see was a lot of... But they were ba- all smart chances, right? Oh, yeah. They were all like, the correct decision was to shoot or to head at goal or whatever. It wasn't like she was shooting through the ankles of three players. Except for maybe the one where she was offside in the very beginning. Uh, oh. We're still not sure if that was going to go in on its own or if she needed yeah, to yeah. put a foot to it. Either way, that one aside, yes. But then it's the sort of combinations, the back heels, the movement, the kind of dragging defenders. There's a reason why Thailand... I think did look so open at times that I think it's because they were overly focused on Alex Morgan and they would yeah. track her and two players would go with her and that opens up space for other players to yeah. occupy. So I thought her movement was was excellent as was her uh, overall finishing ability. Anything else that like stood out to you in terms of things that we take forward to the Chile game yeah. and then the Sweden game and beyond? Um, I, I thought, I mean, it's nothing new, uh, but Abby Dahlkamper's distribution remains, I think, a, an incredibly yes. underrated, like, uh, I guess, weapon? advantage. Yeah, weapon. Yeah. Because a big just, diagonal weapon. Is yeah, just because she... <laughs> She, she, like, a couple of different times just put it on a dime where she wanted, wanted uh, it to be from, like, 50 or 60 yards. Including that disallowed first goal. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's Haran that actually gets to the gets yes. to the ball. It's just a deep – there's no bend on it. It's just a deep diagonal cross Mm-mm. that's set up perfectly for Haran to attack. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought her distribution is something that, like, even if you're a defense and even if it's just Abby Dahlkamper back there, you might not back yourself to go put her under pressure because she can spot those, like, those mismatches and target them. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed her performance. I think we can take away Julie Ertz's just sort of overall confidence that she had no qualms about stepping back and playing center back again. Obviously, she's done that before. But then when she kind of shifts into, it was almost a sweeper-stopper situation with Dahlkamper. With the 3-1. Yeah. yeah. And that she it's looked, a smart move, right? Because it was yeah. like, why waste? having two centre-backs here when Thailand are sending nothing forward Mm -hmm. and we can just apply extra pressure in in central midfield. seems like a good, like, obvious but brave tactical move. Yeah, and I'm not saying that that's a thing that we are even going to see that much in this tournament because we're not going to play a team that is as... Passive as, weak as passive as Thailand, yeah. yeah. And so I don't know if that works against, say, France in a knockout round, but I just enjoyed that Julie Ertz seemed to back herself yeah. to do all of the different jobs that were required of her. Okay, so thinking of that 3-1-2-4 shape mm-hmm. against France in the knockout round, is there any chance that that's something that they rolled out because if we're 1-0 down with five minutes to go, here's the thing we're going to try? Or is it more a formation for, if Chile are giving us some trouble, here's what we're going to do? Maybe both. Yeah, okay, that's the question. I, I, I think it can be both. I've heard things can be two things. They can. Uh, it, that is what it felt like. It felt like it's it, rather than go because, like, you're not really – and it, really, when you think about it, it's, it's smart of Jill Ellis because if you take your foot off and you try to kind of, like, put some defensive subs in and kill the game off – Thailand aren't going to be a strong enough team to go at you and cause you problems so that you learn anything about your defensive shape. So I think it does make more sense to put on more attacking subs and go at a team that are going to be trying to be defensive. Yeah. So I, I like that. I also think that you, like with the concerns about Sauerbrunn in place, about maybe some of her pace and Dahl Kemper as well. And the fact that she wasn't fit for this game. Yeah, I have no such concerns about Crystal Dunn's pace, and I have fewer yeah. concerns about Kelly O'Hara, especially with her tackling ability. Uh-huh. So uh, if, Yeah, everything we said for O'Hara is true for Crystal Dunn down the left side 100%. as well, right? Yeah. So then if you are kind of chasing the game, but you're worried about the counterattack, going to that back three of like Dahl Kemper winning stuff, distributing the ball, and then two fast fullbacks who can put out fires if need be, yeah. that is probably a thing that we may see if oh, the United States needs ground, that goal. 
you need with a back three, right? Exactly. You've got to be able to cover ground. Exactly. Okay, anything else you want to add on this game before, yeah. we, before we move on? I have oh, one final is. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Derek Walker tweeted it, but you and I talked about it. Uh, did we really need the crying Thai baby so many times? Did we need that fox? I didn't need I guess that's the global feed or whatever, but yeah, still. Yeah, it's not Fox's fault. It's the it made me feed. sad. It yeah. made me sad. It, I'd much prefer to see small children celebrating than a tiny baby crying. It certainly told the story of the game, it but did. watching the game also told the story of the game. Also that. <laughs> um, so once again, one mm-hmm. final thing. Alex Morgan, five goals. Yep. She is now the golden boot leader yep. ahead of Cristiano by, by two goals. Do, do you think this sort of almost guarantees that she gets it? Uh, yes, I Puts do. Puts her off to a very strong start, It really start, does. Right? Yeah, because like, Cristiano has the hat trick. Do we expect I – still I still don't know how strong Brazil are versus how weak Jamaica are. Yeah. So I don't know if Brazil are going to make a deep run of the tournament. I think uh, then everybody else are, is on like two goals yeah. at best. It, it, it puts her well ahead, and they still have Chile to play. So if you're looking for the next U.S. game, mm-hmm. it is that uh, United States-Chile game. It is this coming Sunday. It's a noon Eastern kickoff. So United States versus Chile this Sunday, noon Eastern kickoff. Mm-hmm. We will be back to cover that, to preview that, to review that. We're also going to talk about uh, the day's other games. We're yeah. also going to talk Chile, some, some U.S. Do do men's national team at the very end of the show. There's been some news. We're going to chat about there that. There has been some Gold Cup roster news. Yay. Get ready for it. It's we're not... way more enthusiastic than we should be. Yeah. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. It is easy to get caught up in your daily routine, and sometimes you forget to take care of yourself, especially when, say, there are lots of uh, Women's World Cup games happening starting in the morning. Then uh, as the summer progresses and more tournaments come online, it's going to be even harder to maybe (laughs) focus on ourselves as opposed to the daily routine. I'm going to disagree. I think it's easy to take care of yourself when you have Dollar Shave Club ah, in your back. I see what you've done Which I guess there. is still what they're going for. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I mean, it is true that like with, with the products that they have on offer, you can kind of get everything you need so that you wake up, you're in the bathroom for like 15 minutes, you come out, and you've got and it all together. Good. And yeah. everyone's like, whoa, who is this handsome fella coming mm-hmm. out of the bathroom? And I think for me, 14 of those 15 minutes are in the shower because quick showers <laughs> are the worst. But showers are the best. They are. Um, Worth noting that Dollar Shave Club, it's not just razors. Mm -mm. They started out with razors, I assume. That's why they were called Dollar Shave Club. It checks out. But now they have all kinds of high-quality products. Uh, We we always talk about the shampoo. Mm -hmm. There's deodorant. There's uh, the toothpaste, the toothbrush. All of that is yours for the taking. I am not uh, a frequent shaver, as my beard would indicate, but I do keep the lines. (laughs) You touch it up, right? I I do. I do. I keep my lines tight. Keep it tidy. Keep it tidy. Uh, The shave butter, man. The shave butter. It's solid. Yes. It's real, real solid. Because I do get a lot of irritation, especially like on my neck. Part of the reason why I grew the beard because uh-huh. I didn't really feel like shaving my neck all the time. Uh, but when I do have to shave it, Dollar Shave Club, the shave butter, it makes it nice and smooth. I do not get nearly as much irritation. Well, lucky, lucky news for you mm-hmm. and for our listeners is that the Dollar Shave Club starter set, which oh is just five dollars, comes with everything you need, including. The shave butter. Oh boy. You get the executive razor, you get the shave butter. Executive razor. And you get the face club. Um, mm-hmm. You do not have to be an actual executive to get the executive That's razor. Good. You'll just feel like one. <laughs> That's good. I think we would have had to change our titles, right? Yes. I think right now it's just president, vice president. We'll I forget who's what. Executive co host and co executive co host. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So here's, here's how you uh, get that offer. How do we you do go it? to dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. Uh-huh. Three little letters on the end, dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. You can get the Dollar Shave Club starter set for just $5. As I mentioned, it's the executive razor, the shave butter, and the face cleanser. But then if you click around the site, you can find all the other good, good stuff that they offer. So I'm very excited for that. I hope our listeners are as well. One more time, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. And uh, you get the, what, the first kit for $5. Very, very exciting. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's continue talking Women's World Cup. Where should we go next? What game, Mr. Grove? How's about we go reverse chronological order 
and reverse order of most goals. All right. So that <laughs> means USA 13. You, tra- you trapped yourself with logic here, I think. USA 13, Thailand nil. The previous game to uh-huh. that was Sweden 2, Chile nil. There we go. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> that took entirely too long. So Sweden, Chile. <laughs> but wasn't wrong. You were not it's wrong. better to be right than to be fast. Yeah, yeah, which maybe you could sort of uh, use for Sweden's uh, description of this game because <laughs> they maybe ended up getting it right, but I'm not sure it was necessarily because of the way they set out. So once again, mm-hmm. a smaller team yep. sets out to frustrate a bigger team yes. and mostly succeeds. Mostly Sweden succeeds. got it in the end. Why were Chile able to uh, frustrate Sweden for a little while? And don't say rain. I know that this game was, was like, cancelled for a little while. I'm going really? to say part of it. Uh, ju- just that I think if you are the team that is expected to win and you are struggling to create like very clear-cut chances, Sweden had a lot of chances. I don't think a lot of them were clear-cut. I thought a lot of them were okay. half chances. I think, the like we've talked about this, the, the closer you get to the end of the game, if you still haven't scored and you're expected to score, the pressure sort of ends up being on you. Yeah. And I think Chile, to some extent, were kind of just executing their game plan. But which, the rate, which was what? Like 4-5-1? Yeah. Sit back. Defense, <laughs> yeah. hassle, stay with your marks. Yeah. Don't overly stay with your marks. Uh-huh. And I guess let uh, Sweden cross the ball all the time. Um, but I think if you I want have to get back that, to that. I think that's yeah. interesting. But if you have that rain delay, it gives Sweden a little bit of time. It, it gives them time to kind oh, of... To rethink and reset. Yeah, and... to regroup, kind of sit down, go through some stuff, what's working, what's yeah, not yeah. working. Then you can come back out and make some changes, I including think substitutions. I, I think that's really important because I do think like there's a, there's a feeling when you're supposed to be winning a game and yeah. you're not that time is getting away from you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, all right, it's the 55th minute, we're still good. Mm-hmm. It's what, it's the 75th minute? Yeah. How did that happen? You know yeah. what I mean? If you have a rain break in the middle, you really do have time to sit and think and talk it through. So I think you're absolutely right that it is important, even though I tried to dissuade you from saying that. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think that's part of it. But then I also think that Sweden sort of played... Oh, for those who don't know, uh, Sweden scored two goals in the last 10 minutes, they do. basically. The 83rd and the 94th. But prior to that, I think Sweden played into Chile's game plan a little bit because yes. it felt like they were doing some of the things that we've already talked about that the United States did not do, but that Japan did, which is be a little bit slower on the ball. They seem content to move it from left back to center mid to center back to right back. Yeah. And that's going to slow it down. And and Chile almost got some chances because they could predict that and step to the ball on occasion. Then Sweden were content to kind of just put the ball into the box and see what happened. I think backing their crosses, height, yeah. especially on set pieces. Let's talk about set pieces. I think mm. this is one of the key things. Yeah. Sweden had a plan on set pieces. Normally having a plan is good. I have to give my wife credit for this, by the way. Was I? I need to jump in. because She, she, she drew up Sweden's she, set pieces? She, she said, why do they have all of the players standing inside that one box? And I was like, they do have all their players <laughs> standing inside the six-yard box on every corner. They, so they absolutely closed. Yeah. every Swedish um, player that was forward for the corner kick yep. or the free kick or whatever um, around the six-yard box, mm-hmm. essentially, and then aimed for that cluster. Yes. And it worked zero times. Yes. And, and part of that is because the service was not great. There were mm-hmm. times when they failed to clear the first defender or overhit the ball. But a big part of this was a player that you spotlighted, Chile, Chile's oh, goalkeeper. Oh, in the preview, yeah. Yeah, uh, Christiana Ender. Yeah. Yes. So um, PSG keeper, mm-hmm. very tall. She's what five foot eleven and a yeah. half. I think it. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like she just doesn't want to say she's six foot. Yeah. Or maybe she's five eleven and she wants to pretend she's six foot. Maybe Either way, yeah, it's that. really tall goalkeeper uh-huh. who was essentially able to catch or punch everything that yep. Sweden crossed in. Mm-hmm. She was also sort of great on the line at making a. There's weird little half chances I saw Sweden have. She was good at just getting down and holding those as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. But, yeah, but I think she essentially beat all the Swedish players in the air. Yes. It, is yeah. that fair? Yeah, it, it is. Nilla Fischer, Sega, all, all those big players, she beat them in the air. And so with that in mind, Sweden eventually get the goal, but it's not through some, okay, we're going to change it up. We're going to have some like high-concept passing play. It's sort of a, an under-hit cross, and then there's a scrum, and then there's a goal. So speaking of Nilla Fischer, she's a centre-back, right? Yep. She um, gets forward in like a weird like right-central position. Yep. 
and it's the 83rd minute and she's looking to cross and she's a great player but she mm-hmm. mishits this cross. She does. So instead of lofting it like they wanted to loft it, she accidentally hits it low. Mm-hmm. And that I think that accidentally creates a, a top of the box scramble yeah. that Sweden eventually score from. I think yeah. that's the best way to say it. It is. So Sweden got lucky with the first goal. They did. And and it's a good first touch. Yanogi, uh, uh, who subs on in the 81st yes. minute, she's on for about a minute and a half before she's involved <laughs> yeah. in the goal. But she's the one who kind of like has to turn around and just get a touch to the ball and does yeah. really well to bring it down. But then. She rescues the bad cross. Yeah, but yeah. then kind of the ball's poked away from her. The ball is poked away from who else is in there? Anvergaard gets Thank a little you. Bit as well. Yeah, uh, Anvergaard can't do anything about it. And then eventually it falls to Aslani, yeah. who does hit that ball's hard as she can yeah. at the very top corner. And I think that's essentially the scramble that was created accidentally by Sweden. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and I should we should add Sweden did have a few moments where they did have some design set pieces and they did have some like quick pass and then an incisive through oh, ball. Oh yeah, it wasn't the one where they clustered everybody yep. at the back post like mm-hmm. they always did but then, I can't remember which player it was, but one player broke loose yeah. and they played that ball in low and, and, and then that player tried to like play a little yep. through pass. Like That almost came off. It so did. It it's almost, almost like but, the terrible idea we've got, the only good way to use that is to fake the terrible idea and do something actually good. Yeah, but even then, <laughs> the key thing there is that you said it almost came off because even then yeah. it was like their their first touch let them down or it was a little bit overhit and I think it wasn't a thing that they were quite as comfortable with. And I say that only to say that then it is like Yanogi who does kind of go at the Chilean defense in a way that I think Sweden were a little bit uh, hesitant to do. You're talking about the second goal? Yeah. Yeah, and 94th she, minute, yeah. she makes it 2-0. And she, it's a really good goal. And it is, Chile at this point are a little bit stretched. You can tell that they're not quite as defensively solid because now they're losing. Yeah. But she still goes at people, dribbles past people, beats people, gets a shot off in the box. She creates something from not very much. Mm-hmm. And you asked me uh, before we started recording if I think maybe that means she gets a start the next game. Yeah. I, I think there's a decent chance she, she does. She definitely earned it, right? Yeah. She's got a sort of assist. It won't yeah. go down as an assist. No. No. for the first goal but she sort of but she battles and keeps she that rescued play alive. the cross battles exactly. makes it happen yeah and then she scores a great goal for the yeah. second I, yeah I think you know you should start I, yeah. I agree so so maybe she will but uh, <laughs> either way Sweden do uh, find a way to get the three points uh, do get the two goals yeah, we thought but, maybe that would help them but then the United States yeah. scored several the US are definitely top on goal difference yeah <laughs> did you see anything from Chile that should worry the US when they play them on Sunday I mean they, they will certainly be better defensively than Thailand they'll yeah. be more organized and I think they will have much more physical fight yeah. than we saw from Thailand. I think they'll also will see a little bit more willingness to try to intercept some passes to try to put the United States under pressure in a way that, again, Thailand did not and thus yep. did not cause problems. I think the obvious thing to spotlight again is the goalkeeper, right? Yep. Um, Engler. Mm-hmm. So her up against uh, the US attackers is going to be a much bigger test than the Thai keeper, who yes. we all do respect. I don't think made a single save from all those 13 mm-hmm. shots that came at her. Uh, and if she did, I don't remember it. Yeah. Uh, but, she had a couple yeah. of like holds, but uh-huh. everything else was like she she was almost non-existent as the ball was smashed past her. Yeah, and we did see some master set piece theater uh, with the United States uh, against Thailand. Yeah, we didn't go into it because obviously we weren't going to go into every single goal. But I would expect a few more of those design set pieces. Some like. Like the short corner taken, like kind of reverse diagonal that is then squared to the top of the box that's then like chipped in. Like I think we'll get a few more variations because of how good Endler was in the air. And I've just realized that we'll see the sweet, we might see the cluster, this classic cluster Swedish, like drop it on seven players' heads at the back Mm -hmm. post. We don't have an Endler, so mm-hmm. we're like it's it's Alyssa Naya, right? Yep. She's not as tall. She's she's not terrible in the air, but it might be more of a challenge for her than it was for Endler. So that will be interesting to watch when we play Sweden. Yeah, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I jumped ahead again. I was like, what, Chile? What now? I jumped ahead again. Yeah, I jumped okay. Ahead again. I was like, are they just moving in a swarm? Is that what you... <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, uh, you're not wrong. We'll, we'll probably see some crosses. My chronology wasn't right, but I'm not wrong. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> well, then should we go to the final game of the day? Yes. Which well, was the first, the game, first of the game of the day? first game of the day, 9 a.m. It finished Netherlands 1, New mm-hmm. Zealand 0. A Jill Rod goal in 
the 92nd minute. This yep. looked for all the world like New Zealand were going to battle to a hard-earned draw. It did. And I think Tom Sermani, uh, the New, New Zealand, Zealand coach, coach? shares some blame here. Because really? I do think they did a very good job keeping their shape, frustrating New Zealand. Again, yeah. it's what we've I been talking about. I want to talk about this a little bit because I think sure. it's interesting. Uh, and, I, and I think the way they set up was like almost a 4-4-1-1 with yeah, Rosie White was. kind of like allowed to roam around a little bit. Yeah, and she's cost- underneath Gregorius and she's yes. sort of like... She's the attacking midfielder, but it's really destructive in a way, right? She's essentially yes. causing trouble, but then starting counterattacks. Yes, yeah. and, that, and that right there is what I want to focus on because routinely, uh, because Rosie White was, you know, she was at our show, so I had yeah, a little bit more of like, okay, where's Rosie in this Yeah, quiet? definitely. Yeah, I was looking at it. Yeah. And routinely, she would not be in the sequence when like, like the Netherlands would maybe slow it down, they'd drop the ball to the center midfielder, and then Rosie White would come sprinting back and kind of dart in and just put that center midfielder under pressure so she would have to rush a pass or she would get dispossessed. And that's what I think was working so effectively for New Zealand was they were kind of causing problems for the Netherlands further, like, how do I say this? Like, closer to midfield, but when the Dutch had committed players forward, and then they would get hassled, so they either kind of rushed some direct balls in, yeah. or got dispossessed, or sort of weren't able to quite play as fluidly as they wanted. I actually think it was quite a brave approach from New Zealand, because they didn't just sit, like, way, way back, right. like, everybody on top of their own box. When the Dutch like, defenders had the ball, there was a little bit of pressure, right, in that four-four-one-one. But then when the Dutch progressed it, which they were really good at doing, because they were mm-hmm. really good at, like, passing and moving and playing through... Then New Zealand would collapse a little bit um, and defend at the top of their own box. Yeah. But they did so successfully. I know you want to get to like maybe a mistake well, that Samani made that eventually maybe cost New Zealand well, the game. I do, but I first want to mention that you're absolutely right, that those two centre-backs, uh, Ersek and Stott, were immense. That yes. They did so well to put out so many fires and to really, I think, break the spirit of the Dutch a yeah. little bit on a number of occasions. One thing I want to get into is what New Zealand did to counter the biggest threat that the Dutch have. All right. So... We did it. We mentioned in the preview mm-hmm. the really big threat from the Dutch is the front three, right? So it's Miedemar in the middle, and then out wide it's Martins on the left and Shanice van der Sanden on the right. And they look to go to those two wide players, Martins on the left, van der Sanden on the right, and go at you. What New Zealand did really well is double team them every time. Yep. So just to use one side as an example, it's uh, Shanice van der Sanden, the right winger. Riley, Ali Riley, I believe, the left back mm-hmm. and captain for New Zealand. They never left her one on one. Either a chance the left mid would come back and double team with her, or if chance was caught out, like maybe it happened too quickly, then Ersig, the left centre back, would come over and suddenly Shanice van der Sanden has two players to try and go past mm-hmm. and they managed to shut it down. Yep. These are pretty good defenders, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, I think Riley played at Stanford, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. We know we talked about Ersig yeah. as being like a key defender. NWSL defender and a of the year. Yeah, for, for New Zealand. So I think they did a great job of just having that system of always 2v1, but not always the same 2v1. I, I agree with... Or 1v2, I guess is a bit I agree with all of that. And then the other thing I would add to it is that like against the United States, I mean, this is a New Zealand team that shipped, what, like five goals, six goals against the US? Yeah. Fairly recently. Five, no, yeah. And we talked about some of the reasons for that jet lag and travel, but another big part of it is that they played a very, very high back line and kind of dared the United States to, to beat them and get in behind. And that's how the United States ended up scoring is balled on the channel. Uh, Tobin Heath is on it. She plays it all the way across to Megan Rapino. Megan Rapino finishes. And that's because they left a ton of space behind. I felt like New Zealand in this game did a really good job of splitting the difference where they sort yeah. of left enough space that it seemed open. And so you'd see the Dutch try to play some of those balls, but then it wasn't actually and it would go out for a corner yeah, or be easily cut out. Teamed. Yeah, but then also, yeah, they sat deep enough that when those wingers would get the ball, there'd be the double team, and there wasn't a lot of space to run into. So it sort of nullified the like the speed and the kind of technical precision in that speed of the Dutch attack. So here's the thing then. We mm-hmm. just talked about how New Zealand basically got this exactly right yep. to frustrate the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and yet it finishes 1-0 to the Netherlands. And you said Tom Samani, the coach, yep. 
maybe made a mistake. I think so. What was that mistake? Again, there? I don't think this is just my rooting bias for Rosie White, nor my uh, enjoyment of Gregorius. But it is, uh, especially Wilkinson, who comes on. We talked about Wilkinson as yeah. as nursing, uh, j- having just come back from an ACL tear, uh, suffered in October. You could see the, um, I yep. forgot what it's called. Is that kinet- kinetic? Or yeah, something? yeah. That's not the word, right? But she's got some strapping on her leg. I think it's called, it's like, it's not kinetic tape. Kinesi- but it's def- kinesiotic? It's definitely like the, like the 22nd century uh, knee brace is what <laughs> yeah. it looked like. But you could see Wilkinson, Beverly Crusher put it on. Yes. You could see her not look very, not if not comfortable, but certainly not quite as mobile as, say, Rosie White was. Yeah, yeah. And I would say uh, for Sat- uh, Satchel, right? Satchel who came on? Satchel for, also came on, yeah. For Gregorius. Yep. Um, so she, she re- he replaced the front two, mm-hmm. which I thought at the time, this is smart. These, these, these two players have run really hard. White and Gregorius have run really hard mm-hmm. for 70, 80 minutes. You get fresh legs on there, and then you're allowed to still pressure the Dutch high up the field with some fresh energy. Yes, but it didn't but, work out. But it didn't work out, and I think part of that is because there is a pretty decent drop off, similar to Scotland. There's a pretty decent drop off from starting eleven for New Zealand to some of the players who yeah. are coming in. And I think you saw that with Satchel that there's one sort of breakaway chance where she gets past a defender, but then her touch is pretty poor. She, wider she and kills wider her and angle. She ends up shooting it wide. Yeah. So like I, th- I I do wonder if that's Gr- Gregorius still in a rosy white. Are they number one as intent to go straight at goal? Or are they kind of content to maybe slow it down, wait for more players to get forward so you can get a better opportunity? But then the other one is that in the lead up to the Dutch uh, winner, it's basically Wilkinson who's trying to kind of do too much. I think she backs herself a little bit to hold the ball up and dribble, but sort of beat somebody with with a move. Yeah, and she, she just she just like thirty seconds earlier lost the ball in the yeah, corner as well. Yeah, yeah, she's so trying she, to do the hold up in the corner and got tackled, and, and yeah. she gets stuck, and that's what leads to this. And so I think it was she's kind of, a good player, right? From yeah. everything I've heard, I think maybe the mistake was playing her when she wasn't fit. Yeah, playing yeah. her when she wasn't fit, and also putting them into basically more of a four four two. I thought a key thing was that they had the four and four when Rosie White and uh, Gregorius were still in Sarah Gregorius, yeah. but. Then you had Gregorius staying high and stretching the defense and kind of keeping them on their toes. And then Rosie White roaming around. Once you drop the two in and it's kind of just two strikers but dropping in as well, yeah. you lose some of those outlet pressure and you also lose a lot of the mobility because Wilkinson just doesn't have it right now. And the Netherlands score. And the Netherlands yeah, score. So as you said, it really does start when Wilkinson essentially there's a turnover. Yep. She loses possession, taking too many touches. She's stripped of the ball. Yep. And then the Netherlands go. And right? the Netherlands go. <laughs> and they had they. Uh, this is like flipping it around. This is a, a probably a story of good substitutions from yeah. from the Dutch coach whose name I forget. So uh, Shanice van der Sanden, the mm-hmm. the right winger. Vigman, I got it. I, I knew you would find it. <laughs> say it again, please. Uh, it's well, it's with a W, but Vigman is what I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. So Vigman um, mm-hmm. takes the bold decision to take off Shanice van der Sanden. This yep. is one of her star players. This mm-hmm. is one of these sort of all-star front three, right? Fox had led with this. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's the situation we're in. Yep. Um, takes van der Sanden off, brings on Berenstein, yeah. who, from my understanding, is the backup center forward. And is so, not a bear? And he's not a bear okay. um, or a steen. Yep. So Berenstein um, is normally the replacement for Miedemar as a center forward, but she comes on for Shanice van der Sanden, and I think tucks in more centrally, mm-hmm. right? So you've essentially then got two strikers instead yep. of this sort of spread out front three. Yeah. And it's no accident that it is eventually a ball to the back post that Berenstein challenges for that mm-hmm. then drops to Rod to score yep. the winner. There's more to it than that. Yep. But I think just the central presence of Berenstein um, is helpful in Rod scoring this winner. Here's the thing. I'm not actually sure there is that much more to it. You've pretty much just hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a ball in the box, but put in a dangerous position where Riley, I think, gets worried about getting beat to the ball. By he, Berenstein? Yeah, because yeah. Berenstein kind of does that quick step like she's going 
going to go towards the center of the goal, and Riley overcommits to that. Then she has to backpedal because now she realizes she's too far in. Yeah. She's not going to be able to get that header cleanly. And it ends up being uh, Berenstain who I think wins the header but heads it on to Riley. So then that ball pops up in the air. But it is that kind of more central attacking presence yeah. that caused problems. And when it pops, yep. Ro- I think Rod is very calm here. Yep. Like, essentially, instead of trying to slam the header, mm-hmm. she just she sees that everybody's coming towards her. So she heads it back the other way across yep. goal, right? It's a very easy, simple header, but only if you make it look easy. But and only simple. if you make yeah. it look easy and simple. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I do also want to spot like Miedemar's involvement yep. in this. Oh, you should. Forward, you absolutely should. The number should. nine. Mm-hmm. So the ball's played her into her in the box. And she did a thing that she did a lot of times, which is essentially put a foot on top of the ball, drag it back, move it left and right, doing a bit of futsal skills, mm-hmm. basically, right? Temp people in. And I think she tries to like drop it to the top of the box for someone, maybe for Spitz, I think, is there. Yeah. Um, for, a, for a strike. It's like the, yeah, the squared ball for the late runner to hit yeah. first time. The ball pops again. Then Miedemar gets it back and yeah. cleverly sees the, uh, the chance to uh, play it out wide for the cross to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to pause there for a moment because oh, you're yeah. absolutely right. But that just reminded me of one other thing, which, again, credit to my wife for spotting. <laughs> uh, one thing we should be aware of when it comes to the USA's game against Sweden, and one thing that Sweden, I have to believe, will fix, yeah. is that routinely they didn't make that pass. The pass, the pass that uh, Midima was trying to make, yeah. the kind of square pass to the late runner, Sweden routinely would get the ball and turn. And like Aslani, I think on one occasion two times in maybe a minute got the ball and turned to lay it off and there was just nobody there because Sweden had kept their midfielders back if there had been somebody there it's just an easy tap and it's a full speed like hitting it as hard as you can with a lot of bodies in the way that feels like it's going to end in a goal so I would expect Sweden to be a little bit better committing numbers forward maybe the Netherlands don't need to because here it just ends up with uh, Mia Demma doing everything she needs to do to eventually uh, help Get the ball in the box. I want to say this is a big deal for the Netherlands as yep. well because they came into this tournament with a lot of hype. Yep. Like we were a very small part of the hype by hyping yep. them up in our previews mm-hmm. as this is an exciting team to watch. Yep. I think it really, if they'd ended up sort of crashing against New Zealand and drawing 0 0, it really would have put a sort of um, put a yep. spoke in the wheel. A spoke? No. Put something in the wheels that stops the wheels turning. Yeah. <laughs> a stick. Anything. A stick in the wheels. Yeah. yeah. Wheels are supposed to have spokes, right? Yes. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. I believe. This is why I'm not allowed in the Netherlands. This makes sense. <laughs> no bikes for you or windmills or clogs. <laughs> So yeah, I think I just think it's a big a big deal that the Netherlands uh, got this win, and I feel bad for New Zealand because mm. you talked in the preview. They held on so long. They held on they so long, so but also they didn't do the sit really deep yeah. and kick it long thing, which is what the players. You did a long thing about this in the preview, right? The players originally rebelled against the old coach for doing that. Mm-hmm. Samani came out with, I would argue, about as positive an approach as is realistically yeah. sensible against the Netherlands. Against the Netherlands. Yeah. And it almost came off. It and almost came off. Just quite didn't. Yeah. Just quite didn't. And that other coach is probably sitting at home thinking, oh, you should have just sat back in a back 10. <laughs> I doubt it. I think he's probably somewhere <laughs> screaming at a wall is the vibe I got from him. Um, so to wrap up, mm-hmm. Women's World Cup, we have a whole match day done. We do. Every team has now played. We're ready for match day two to mm-hmm. start. Which it will. Tomorrow. It will tomorrow. Do you know who's playing? Soccer never sleeps. Soccer never sleeps. Tomorrow morning the- at 9 a.m. Yeah. Nigeria, South Korea. All right. 12 p.m., mm-hmm. noon, Eastern, Israel, Eastern, Germany, Spain. That's a decent That's one. a proper game, right? Ooh, Germany, uh, Spain. Update there, Jennifer Marshan uh, yeah. confirmed as a broken toe. We're Ooh. not sure which toe or how much she'll be able to play, but if she's not able to play, that's kind of a big deal for Germany. Best player on Germany. Yep. Easily, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best player on Germany. I would say so. 3 p.m., France, Norway. There we go. Also a good game. That would be a big test for France. The World Cup is rolling, Taylor. We're about to get into match day two. I'm excited for France, yeah. Norway. I'm excited for all the games, but France, Norway especially. Uh, would you agree that maybe France and the U.S. are the only two teams that really put a mark down of lookout? Yes. 
I would. Yeah? Uh, yeah, let me think, running through. Yes, I would. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. even England only beat Scotland 2-1, and it was decent, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought I saw some breakdowns of uh, England's tactical shape and spacing, and I, and I think they did a better would you, job. Would you share with me? Yeah, um, j- basically, just that they kept a lot, like, they kept their position of discipline. Clear, right? Oh, sure, I will. <laughs> um, but they, they just, like, you could see, I forget who was tweeting about it, but you could see from, like, the tactical cam just how much they kept where they needed to be to keep kind of areas of support and their, like, passing triangles in place and did a very ah. good job to sort of keep Scotland running yeah. but not necessarily in an effective way and this is a team run by the English Football Association it's weird right wow it's a it's a weird world we live in <laughs> but yes I would say yeah France and the United States have definitely uh, staked their respective claims yeah. as tournament favorites maybe Brazil they're I just, don't know it's, it's still, too it, much negative history in the immediate build-up right with the no nine games without a win type thing that I'm not. I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but like, it's also. I genuinely don't know how good Jamaica are. They yeah, started yeah. so many young players. Like, like they started a goalkeeper who I don't think maybe had made ten starts, maybe in total for yeah. them, and like, and didn't know she was going to start until the night before. Should so I I, we'll see maybe in the next game against uh, that Brazil plays how strong they actually are against Fair. maybe slightly tougher opposition. Okay, um, so Women's World Cup mm-hmm. uh, match day one completely done. Yep. We've wrapped up all of Tuesday's games. Mm-hmm. I feel like the men need a little attention as well. Oh. Do they? <laughs> do they? We haven't talked about the US. Think, things team. are all happy and exciting and fun. You want to bring it down now, do you? So we've got some essentially bad news, yep. we think, for US men's national team fans. There's, there's no we think. It is yeah. bad news. Yeah. Well, it's not official yet, right? It is so not as what, at time of recording. What we do know, there's a report that apparently has been confirmed by Luchi Gonzalez, the FC Dallas coach, yep. coach that Reggie Cannon, mm-hmm. who was on the 40-man preliminary roster, has been called up as a replacement player to the US Gold Cup squad. Right. What that means is mm-hmm. Reggie Cannon is a right-back so it's very likely we think that Tyler Adams will not be joining oh, I mean, the US I, men's national team. I'm, I'm willing to say since the time that I put up the tweet and people said, I don't know how reputable that, that Twitter account is, I would confidently say it will not be Tyler. It, Tyler Adams will not be there. We'll stay probably in Germany or we'll stay wherever he is and continue to recuperate and rest up for the start of the season. The reason we're confident is Tyler Adams mm-hmm. is one, like Reggie Cannon's a right back and Tyler Adams was going to play right back. Yeah. Two, the reason Tyler Adams was coming late, it, he did have that adductor mm-hmm. or groin injury, yeah. right, that he came back from, I think, played in a cup game for Leipzig at the end of the season, but he wasn't fully fit. Mm-hmm. And I think this actually makes a bit more sense to me now why he didn't join up with the Gold Cup roster straight away. Yep. I think he was given time off to rest up and heal up, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe Berhalter's plan was to like maybe ease him in or not even play him against Guyana and then get him going throughout the tournament. Yep. It looks like this just hasn't worked out and Adams was never, or it turns out, was never fit enough at all. So he just won't be part of the Gold Cup roster. Mm -hmm. We don't have official confirmation from US soccer, but we're pretty sure if Cannon is called up, it's also he was caught up on the day that Adams was supposed to join the squad. So that's the the killer blow. I don't know what outlandish bet I want to make, but I would be very, very, very surprised if Tyler Adams ends up playing at the Gold Cup. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you want to be super optimistic and you're someone who doesn't like Michael Bradley, you could say Bradley's been injured and maybe Cannon's been called in and therefore it means Adams is going to play midfield to replace Bradley and Cannon is the right back to replace Adams. It's Tyler Adams. It's I, don't, Tyler I don't know why you're doing this. <laughs> why, why are you trying to build any, just, sort, of, any by, sort of hope when the reality by, is by it's nature, Tyler Adams? an optimist. All right. Yeah. Are you checking to see if there's any official confirmation? I am. There's no nothing in the US soccer yet. But we think it's happening, right? We do. Here's why this is bad news. Um, if we wanted this team to uh, do well at the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. Tyler Adams was going to be a big part of it, right? Absolutely. Here's why it's extra bad news. Um, it means this thing about Tyler Adams in this special Greg Bayhalter role. Where U.S. Soccer Men's National Team news: Due to injury, Tyler Adams oh, well, has been replaced me. by I'll Reggie finish, Cannon. I'll finish my point later. On the U.S. M&T's 23-player Gold Cup roster. Yes. Okay, so it is so now official. official. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, here's why it's extra bad news. Yep. 
Tyler, this whole Tyler Adams at right back moving into midfield thing, we were going to see it at the Gold Cup mm-hmm. and we'd have the real evidence. Does it work or does it not work? Now this argument is going to linger on until September. Yeah. Because we won't have evidence either way and Berhalter will still want to try it. So we, it's just going to be a whole thing that we have to deal with for another few months. It will. But we'll yeah. also find out if Reggie Cannon can do it, I guess. I'm, no, we'll find out if Reggie Cannon can be a regular right back. I guess so. But yes. then some, the, I guess we'll see a different formation then. We might I, see Nick Lima do it sometimes, yep. but we'll see Cannon just do the regular. Yeah, but if Reggie Cannon's doing that, then is it a left back who's doing it? Or is it the United States doing something entirely different? Or neither. Yep. Yeah, or neither. Just a regular 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. We'll get into all of this when the Gold Cup rolls around and we get to our USA Guiana preview. Sounds good. <sighs> All right, but at least the women won 13-0. They did. Yeah, all right. <laughs> a Goodman's Dozen, mm-hmm. as we called it. All right, we'll wrap it up then. Taylor Rockwell, I will say thank you, sir, for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow when the Women's World Cup goes again. <laughs> <laughs>